Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Steve Auerbach, the Interim Director of the Office of Innovation and Commercialization, also known as OIC, the Office of Tech Transfer, the Office of Indigenous Innovation, and UH Ventures in the University of Hawaii system. Steve joined the OIC in October 2019. The OIC is tasked with managing the research and innovation developed across all 10 campuses within the University of Hawaii system, protecting the University of Hawaii intellectual property and technology assets, and sharing those assets with a broader community to address the challenges and opportunities faced by Hawaii and the world. Prior to the OIC, Steve was the director of the Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training, also known as PCATT, a consortium of the University of Hawaii Community Colleges, which is responsible for collaborating with industry to develop and provide training in advanced technology-enhancing workforce and economic development programs and initiatives in Hawaii and the Pacific Rim. Prior to the PCATT, Steve served in a variety of senior executive positions for the Hewlett-Packard Corporation. Steve currently serves on the board of the Pacific Fleet Submarine Memorial Association at Pearl Harbor in the capacity of senior vice president. Steve received a MA in communication technology from the University of Hawaii at Manoa. And with that very impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Steve. Oh, Lisa, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, uh, great to be here and excited to talk through this stuff. Well, I'm so glad to have you. And thank you so much again for taking part in the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Um, Steve, I generally like to start the podcast off by asking my guests about their journey to tech transfer. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in Honolulu and at the OIC? Sure. Um, So I'm born and raised, so I'm legacy Hawaii. Uh, My family hails way back um, in the 1800s, uh, selling on Kauai. Uh, And I went through the public school system here, K-12, and then also entered the University of Hawaii, undergraduate and graduate, um, and was always interested in technology. I love taking apart radios, building things, tinkering, uh, Legos, and so after graduate school, I decided, I got married and decided, you know what, we're going to do something different and explore life outside of Hawaii. And so married couple left Hawaii and we ended up raising our family on the West Coast. Um, and I fortunately had got on with a company that was uh, in technology and allowed me to really uh, learn more and grow uh, in, in technology. And that was a company called Hewlett Packard, as you mentioned. And, and so, you know, through that journey with HP, I, I tried many different experiences. And the one that really, at least I think uh, I thrived the most and was passionate about was the last eight years. I had an opportunity to run a business unit and, and work on 
research and development, more specifically launching new products and services. At the time, Hewlett Packard was facing significant headwinds. Uh, I was running the printing and computing franchise, and we were having a hard time growing our top line. So rather than uh, inorganic growth, where we're acquiring companies, we're looking at organic growth. How do we invent? And HP is known as an invention company. How do we invent more products, services, and and the like? And so we spent eight years uh, learning the lean method. First, learning the lean methodology, uh, Agile. We were doing waterfall software development at the time, so we learned Agile, both software and marketing. And then we actually ran a, a spin-out company within uh, HP. 30 of us moved out to the side, and, and our mission was to grow, uh, incubate, grow, and launch uh, adjacent uh, uh, products and services uh, adjacent to our core franchise. And that was the most really an exciting and passionate time. And, and as many uh, uh, incubation and startup activities, most of them never made made the products to market. They're, the one product that I'll talk about that probably was the most thrilling and, and most difficult was uh, we, this is going back to 2000, and the tablet had not been launched. So iPad was not in market. Uh, the Kindle uh, had just come out with a black gray screen e-reader. And we thought... We were going to be the next best uh, color uh, e-reader, magazines and, and books. And so we started developing in our lab a, a product. And I'll, I'll give you the short abbreviated version. Uh, spent millions of dollars and the product never saw the light of day. So, you know, but there are some products that did see the light of day. Uh, fortunately, HP pivoted and we, we figured out how to use that product in another uh, use case. But we went through the whole lean methodology, the customer discovery. We did different focus groups and testing of the product. We had a go-to-market strategy and, and, and lined up. We had a price point. And three months before we were ready to launch, Apple and Steve Jobs got up on stage and they announced the iPad. And it was thinner, uh, lighter, uh, longer battery, uh, had the app ecosystem. We were using Google at the time that Play didn't even exist. And, and our price point was off. And so we, we did not launch an, an iPad, as you know, where it is today. That's a really neat time period that you had at HP, it sounds like. Yeah. And then that was kind of, you know, being born and raised here, I always had this interest to get back. My family, uh, have family on Kauai and, and Oahu. And, and, you know, the University of Hawaii was good to me. Public education was good to me. And so I said, you know, I want to give back. And and so my kids had grown and finished college, and it was a good time for me to re-enter. And, and so I left HP. Uh, it's right around the time HP split, um, and the enterprise system, the computing system, the consumer side. And so I ended up uh, moving back to Hawaii and reconnecting with a family that I've been a part with, and uh, and then uh, landed this job. So, Steve, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar, can you tell us a little bit about the OIC? Sure. Um, it's Office of Innovation and Commercialization, as we mentioned earlier. And within the office, we're a system uh, university, so there's 10 campuses. We have our flagship research R1 institution, University of Hawaii Manoa. We have two other four-year institutions, University of Hawaii West Oahu, and then University of Hawaii Hilo. And then we have seven community colleges, and those 10 campuses comprise the system. My office that I'm responsible for is a system office, and we support and work with all 10 campuses. I would argue most of the research is coming out of Manoa, the flagship institution, but we have other innovation that's happening uh, across the other nine campuses. And so my team, very small, lean and agile team, we work with the uh, on the uh, traditional OTT side, Office of Tech Transfer. Uh, we work with the PIs, researchers, 
to help them figure out how to commercialize their research. Um, and we do, um, as you would imagine, many of the different activities that are associated with tech transfer. The other area and asset is, is uh, we have the uh, Office of Indigenous Innovation. It's a new office. Uh, and the office is really all about um, working with the regional communities uh, to grow the contemporary application of ancestral knowledge in response to local and global challenges to build and scale community-driven enterprises that strengthen societal and economic resilience. Um, the third asset within OIC is our UH Ventures. And UH Ventures uh, is a, a new asset as well. And uh, the, legislat uh, the legislature has just passed two bills, Act 38 and Act 39. And Act 38 is basically, rather than as a state entity, the conflicts of interest be managed with the State Ethics Commission, we actually bring that in-house and manage it um, internally, which and allows us to do more in the incubation space. And then Act 39 is uh, another bill that passed uh, that allows us to bring investment in and invest money out and help support and start uh, and nurture startups. And so in summary, there's three assets within OIC, the Office of Tech Transfer, Office of Indigenous Innovation, and UH Ventures. So Steve, when I was doing my research for this podcast and I was looking at your website, I noticed you have a lot of different programs that are open to faculty, staff, students, and alumni. Can you tell us a little bit more about those programs? Sure. Uh, great question. And, and I'll, I'll start with this reinforcing the mission. So our organization is accountable, responsible for bridging connections and, and building partnerships between UH and the community in the world for that matter, to try and advance those discoveries and inspiring innovators and entrepreneurs to create new opportunities for Hawaii. And, you know, now more than ever, it's, it's very, very important given COVID and, and we've got one of the highest unemployment rates. Uh, you know, tourism is a, a key uh, industry for us, which has been devastated. And, and so all the more interest in heat and light on our organization and and what our organization does is we serve faculty, students, and staff and the research community around trying to help promote their research and discoveries to try and solve some of those local and global challenges and then ultimately grow the UH research enterprise to enhance the community. And like I said, now is a bit more than a, an important time for us to be making strides in that area. And, and so we really try and target, like I said, faculty, staff, and students and there's the traditional technology transfer pathway. And within that pathway, you know, it starts with an invention disclosure. So working with the research, whether they have an NSF grant, an NIH grant, or a private funding, do the disclosure. And then we, our team does the traditional invest, invention assessment. We look at protecting the IP if there's IP. And then we work on trying to market it. So that's your traditional um, tech transfer that ultimately leads to a licensing agreement. And then we also work, if there's a startup pathway, uh, we have programs to incubate ideas. Um, then we do the, the market validation and we look for investor readiness and then hopefully market readiness. And that's the startup pathway. And so eating one of those tech transfer pathway or startup pathways, the core programs that we have, Lisa, are um, within idea generation. One of the cool things that, you know, in my background in Hawaii, uh, uh, the DOD military presence is huge in Hawaii in addition to to tourism. And so we focus on private industry and DOD. 
Um, so in the idea generation, we're fortunate enough to be bringing on this uh, ensign asset, National Security Innovation Network. And I don't know if um, you're familiar with that, but I'll, I'll briefly describe it. It's a DOD function, and they have a couple programs. Um, the X-Force program, Hack for X, Hack for Diplomacy, Hack for Defense, Hack for Oceans, Hack for Resiliency, Hack for Recovery. Um, and that's on the DOD side. And so we're bringing on a, a university program director that's uh, funded by DOD. And, and then Shuey will work with uh, our faculty to um, uh, identify solutions that have been teed up from Ensign, from Hawaii problem sets from DOD. Uh, it could be Navy, it could be Marine, it could be Indo-PACOM, it could be Coast Guard, uh, it could be NSA. Uh, and we have a large presence of all those entities here in Hawaii. Those problem sets get sourced by Ensign, and then we then bring those and introduce them to whether it's School of Engineering, the Computer Science, the Business School, and the faculty and students then work on a solution set using the lean methodology, Hack for Defense. And what's cool about that is as a, a junior, senior, under, uh, uh, graduate, you're, you're now learning the lean methodology through the, the Edison programs. We also have private programs. We do innovation impact challenges, again, to try and stimulate this idea generation where a corporate or private sponsor will bring in a problem set. Uh, we had an uh, interesting with a local utility. Hawaiian Electric Company had a problem around predicting, uh, and we're moving to uh, uh, zero emission and, and energy efficiency here in Hawaii. And so with, with PV and solar uh, grid system, and how do we predictive, use predictive analytics and AI to identify uh cloud pattern and, and more ultimately more output of your, your, your production. And that was a solution that uh, the computer scientists and, and natural sciences group came up with working with one electric from that idea generation. We then move into trying to commercialization, commercialize it in what I call deep tech and high growth areas. And it's a different approach. Um, you know, a lot of folks are using accelerators and incubators uh, what we're trying to do is move to uh, kind of a three-year run, Lisa, where first year, very rough around the edges. Many of these faculty and researchers are focused on publishing and, and teaching and writing grants. They're less focused on commercializing their research. And so we spend time with them. We call it a special ops team to nurture and incubate them around the commercialization uh, uh, evolution. So we support them on startup support is issues, innovation initiatives, entrepreneurship initiatives. And it's a three-year journey. And ideally the goal, and we match up with mentors, uh, uh, experienced entrepreneurs, experienced business folks. Uh, we help them write a commercialization plan. Uh, we help them get in front of, of potential ventures. We ideally want to get them from the idea to this three-year uh, deep tech high growth uh, program that we're, we're, we've launched to a point where there's SIBR and STTR ready, right? And there's there's heavy requirements to get into this program. Yeah, that's definitely where you want to get them. Yeah, so it's kind of this three-year journey, idea generation, then this deep tech high growth uh, venture garage is what we're calling it, and then readiness for SIBR. Wow. It's uh, incredible the amount of activities and programs and initiatives that you have going on. And that's probably a really good segue, Steve, to talking a little bit about your office. Um, you've mentioned a little bit before that it's lean and agile. Can you tell us uh, how your office is actually structured? Sure. Uh, very small team. So myself and five others. Uh, so we have three licensed associates. 
Um, and then we have business development and then somebody that runs the Office of Indigenous Innovation. And so traditional tech transfer office, you have uh, the licensed associates. They really work from end to end. And we're not structured where we have a marketing unit. We don't have a, uh, a finance unit. Uh, we are lean and mean. And so the licensing associate, unfortunately, has a heavy load. He or she will then work with the researchers to do the ideation. And then if it's a traditional tech transfer pathway, work through the MTAs, the NDAs, any license agreements, the whole patenting process, the prosecution thereof, and then the whole marketing. So it's end-to-end for, for our, our small team. Um, in a way, it has advantages too, right? They really get to know the research community and their PEIs. Um, and and the, the other part of it is they may take on some marketing. So it's not not unusual for a licensing associate maybe to post a, uh, something to the web. Uh, and and then it may not be out of the ordinary for somebody to help with, uh, hey, you know what? We haven't paid on your maintenance fees. What are we going to do about paying on your maintenance fees? Can we put a plan together? Uh, so it's really end-to-end that uh, my team is supporting, given limited resources. Yeah, you might be small, but it sounds like you certainly are mighty. That's for sure. Definitely get a lot done. Yeah, it sounds like you get an awful lot done, given all the programming that and other initiatives you have going on. So in that sense, let's talk numbers, given all these programs and initiatives and everything else that, that you do have going on. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your scorecard, you know, the number of disclosures you get in, maybe the number of patents you have issued, the number of licenses or option agreements, royalty revenue, things like that? Yeah, and this is it's, it's analogous to my days at HP, driven by quarters. Um, it's pretty intense here and, and in a good way. Right. And I think given the COVID situation that, like I mentioned on the onset, a little more of an acute situation we're in. And, and we, we measure, we track and measure and report quarterly. Um, and the Board of Regents are actually interested in this. So we have to publish quarterly report results to the, the president and, and the Board of Regents. And the, the metrics that uh, drive us day in and day out. And I don't have a problem getting in front of faculty and PIs and talking about our scorecard. It's very important to that they understand. Um, we understand their scorecard. They need to understand our scorecard. And so we, we are measured on disclosures. Um, we also track the number of provisional and non-provisional patents uh, filed and issued. We track uh, the number of license and op- option agreements uh, executed. We track the number of active license and option agreements. We track royalty revenue, and then also startup uh, startups and startup support um, are the last uh, measures that we track. Now, like I said, we do it on a quarterly basis. Um, or do you want me to go through? Are you interested in? You want to look at like a three year run rate or how? Yeah, I, th- I think that would be interesting for people to to see your three year run rate or something equivalent to that. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with just FY twenty. Just. So you guys can get a the audience can get an understanding. We're small and there's there's not a huge impact. We're trying to grow this, but it, we're actually starting to see some uh, nice momentum. But in FY20, we had 20 uh, 65 disclosures come through our office. We had um, about 45 of the uh, patents filed in FY20. We had 13 license uh, agreements executed. We have about 142 active. Uh, agreements in our portfolio. And we finished at uh, royalty revenue about 220K, um, almost 221,000. And then we supported and or launched about 15 startups 
uh, in FY20. Uh, FY21 is starting out pretty good. Uh, we're ahead of our targets for disclosures, patents, um, option agreements, and royalty. So that's a good sign. I, I don't want to jinx it. Um, if I look back, Lisa, over, and I'm, I've been in the role for about a year, uh, so a lot of good work from the team prior to my arrival. But if I look at about a five, uh, four or five uh, year trend, we've probably had about 300. We've actually had 350 inventions disclosed, more than 100 patent applications filed, uh, more than 45 uh, patents issued, U.S. patents. Uh, we've had 60 uh, licenses that we've entered into in agreements, about 1.6 million in, in revenue collected over that period, 75 plus startups. Um, so the impact is, is there. Um, we obviously are not settling for uh, where we're at right now. We have growth plans and targets, um, and especially what's exacerbated with the, the current environment uh, in our community. So we're really trying to, trying to grow those, those numbers as we speak. Yeah, I think you're headed in a great trajectory, actually, given those numbers and what you've recited over the last uh, five years. It sounds like you're definitely growing, and I'm sure it's challenging now, given the pandemic, but it's looking very promising going forward. So congratulations. Yeah, more more work to do. And, and, you know, one of the, I guess, the the key things that I didn't mention, it's, it's really trying to understand and create this culture uh, where, where faculty and PIs are leaning in. Um, and, and, and I, and I think when I say leaning in, it's, yeah, they're, they're, um, focused on their scorecard, as I mentioned, uh, research publications and, and teaching and bringing in, in, in extramural monies. But when, when we get one or two or more, understanding and leaning in on the value of innovation entrepreneurship and the societal and economic impact that they can contribute with their work, their research. It's kind of like this light bulb aha moment, Lisa, that I, that's part of the most thrilling part of my converting yeah, those. I bet. Don't know about it or didn't have an interest in it or too busy. I was on a call with the dean and, and, and chairs yesterday for a college of natural sciences. So 15 div- division chairs and the dean and they're busy and I get it. But if we can work with one, two, three, four, five of them and convert them to understand how their research is providing societal and economic impact, that is a good thing. That's huge. That's huge. Definitely. That's a really, really good point. And I think that's a good tie-in to my next question is, what do you think, Steve, is most important in managing innovations to have the greatest opportunity for success? There's a couple, but top of mind is relationships, Lisa. You, you got to have the relationships, trust. Uh, building that trust, do what you say you're going to do. Um, and our office is all about that, right? We're a support function across 10 campuses, like I said. And we need to show up and spend time with uh, faculty, staff, and students in our programmatic activities. If a disclosure comes through and they don't know how to fill out a disclosure form online or paper, we walk them through it. If they're not familiar with the patent process and what the payout uh, uh, mix is, we explain that. We share with them that. Uh, so along the way, if, if we want to put them in through our get them cyber ready, um, and so they're they're another f- stage further along in the in the journey, we spend the time working with them. So relationship is 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 a key thing. The other thing I think is often overlooked, Lisa, is and we spend a lot of time on this uh, since I've joined the organization is P twenty. When I say P twenty, is we're not doing enough in the K twelve system. And, and I learned innovation entrepreneurship, as I said, too late in my career. I wish I learned it way earlier. 
I wish I had the bug much earlier, but we're spending time in the middle school, uh, intermediate school and the high school and trying to develop these entrepreneurship clubs. And there's a lot on art appreciation. There should be a lot on entrepreneurship appreciation. Absolutely. Right? I agree. Getting that K-12. So imagine if we're starting to work with the K-12 audience and I have this vision, I don't know if I can pull it off, but you know, middle school, intermediate school and entrepreneurship clubs, even it's a lemonade stand. That's a start, right? Delivering papers, right? Exactly. And they're starting to learn the basics of uh, starting a business. My vision is if you go to high school, we have an entrepreneurship club at a public or private school. I'd love to be able to bring in some money to help scholarship these students to go then into post-secondary and pursue their MVP, their, their prototype that they developed in high school and they're reviving on into post-secondary and then bring them into our support system. They get a scholarship. They surround themselves by like-minded entrepreneurship, entrepreneurs. Um, and we co-locate them and they spend time, continue to iterate. And then they move that through that pathway that I just talked about, either the traditional startup one or the traditional licensing pathway, and then do something that's providing societal and economic impact for our community. And, and so I'm very passionate about that one. You know, the, the last one that I would say that's important around um, driving and, and, and managing innovations is that deep tech, high growth strategy. And, and we just launched it. We're experimenting with it. But uh, it's really nurturing over a three-year period and not just doing a disclosure statement and filing a patent and being done with it. We've got to hold each other's hands, work collaboratively um, uh, to, to make that work. You know, the other thing on the relationships I'm coming back to, at least I'm just thinking through, I talked a lot about the relationship with the faculty, staff, and students. What's even more important is the partnerships. Yeah, that's a really good point, Steve. And that's a great segue into my next question. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about corporate partners. And then you mentioned before the DOD presence there in Hawaii. And so obviously you must have DOD partnerships as well. So can you talk about the role that both of these have played in tech transfer at the OIC? Sure. Yeah. And, and it is a key component, like I mentioned, in, in having strong partners in the community. And we have many partners that are leading it, both corporate side and DOD. So I'll start on the corporate side. Um, it's very important for us. And I mentioned earlier the innovation impact challenges. We work with corporate sponsors. Hawaiian Electric is the largest utility, the, the only utility, electric utility here on, in the state, um, providing there, there's also Kauai utility, but uh, Hawaiian Electric predominantly um, uh, serves Oahu and, and Maui. Anyway, so work with them, Hawaiian Tel Telcom, um, Servco, uh, Data House, Diamond Bakery. So a good collection of different partners, um, American Savings Bank. Uh, there's a lot of corporate partners that are leaning in to the work that we're doing. And, and they're, they're very supportive in, in providing resources from the standpoint of um, in-kind and or monetary uh, to help drive the programs that exist here at the university. Um, we have a, a significant asset in the business school, Scheidler's the PACE, Pacific Asian Center for Entrepreneurship, Student Entrepreneurship, and many of our private partners, corporate sponsors help uh, support those programs. They do challenges over the summer, different unique programs to get our student population uh, trained in, in, in entrepreneurship. As I, I mentioned, it's important for us. And the corporate sponsors, we lean on them to buy that. We have corporate sponsors that tee up, uh, you know, executives in residence. Uh, some, you know, startup entrepreneurs become residents. Uh, so very important to be leaning on the corporate sponsors. 
In addition, I mentioned earlier, we've got a, a large military presence. So DOD, Department of Defense, we, we spend a lot of time working with um, our DOD partners. I mentioned the, the National Security Innovation Network asset. Um, they're providing challenge, uh, uh, challenge statements to us and we're providing solutions that helps incubate. Uh, we're tied into this uh, state agency, uh, High Tech Development Corp., which is part of our uh, DBED organization, Department of Business and Economic Development. And HTDC helps with matching CIBR uh, awards. They help, uh, their, their focus is on technology and nurturing technology. So that's a key partner of ours. We just launched another interesting, it's a DOD program out of the Office of the Navy Research, of, of Naval Research, and it's called TechBridge, and it's TechBridge 808. There's about 15 tech bridges that are uh, surfacing across the U.S. And we're fortunate that we just launched ours a month ago. And it's a, a, a place for public-private partnerships to come together. Uh, so High Tech Development Corp., the, the Navy, um, there's an executive director that comes out of uh, DOD that's running TechBridge 808. And the intent is for us to focus on maritime uh, energy resilience and, and bringing those problem sets to the university and matching them with the world-class researchers we have at UH to problem solve some of those and ultimately turn into uh, dual-use uh, solutions, whether it's for a DOD uh, uh um, opportunity or private use. And we're excited, really excited about that one. So, you know, partners are, are all very important in the corporate side and the DOD side. Now, what about partners like philanthropic organizations like the Gates Foundation? Do you have some of those uh, playing a role there at the OIC as well? That's a good good question. And, and we're not doing enough there. And, and that is on my strategic plan. And I want to focus some of our efforts uh, there. And so I was spending a lot of time doing outreach. Um, you know, you think about we're, Hawaii is not known for innovation entrepreneurship, right? And so we've got to build more of a presence. And we, we are, uh, have an advantage of many of our uh, many successful large businesses end up uh, uh, coming to Hawaii to vacation. Right. And yep. how do we entice and support and nurture some of those relationships to, to give back in the community? And so we're working on that. But to answer your question, we're not doing enough uh, in that space. And it's on our strategic plan. So, Steve, switching gears a little bit, reflecting on past license transactions and or partnerships, what might you have done differently if you knew then what you know now? I think the the, the dual use is a, an interesting one that we're just starting to get uh, in and, and, and I think that has a large impact in, uh, from the community standpoint, both on DOD and the private issue. So I mentioned the dual use. Um, I also am a firm believer that, you know, there's multiple paths. Some, some want to go startups, some want to go license, uh, depending on their, their load. They may just want to license their technology and just sit back and collect the, collect the royalties, right? And then there's those that really want to dig in and, and be a part of a startup. And, and my key takeaway a year into this job, Lisa, is that, We've got to be able to support those that want to decide to do a startup and, and go all in and lean in on it. Um, many of these researchers are focused on those measures I mentioned, and startup is a new skill set. It's a new experience. They, we've got to help them develop the business acumen, either matching the, the EIR or the, um, uh, the mentor to help support that or bring in a, a C-level operational person that's got the business and experience that's done a startup or multiple startups uh, so that she or he can be successful in, in, in their startup. And I think for me, the, the biggest learning is we got to do more in that area because many of our uh, researchers that decide to do a startup, they just, 
they don't have the support mechanism and, and we've got to develop that. They're academics. They've been uh, they're they've got their PhD and they're working on teaching and publishing and writing and writing grants and they're not necessarily focused on the startups. We've got to support. So that's a key learning for me. Let's talk about some of your biggest success stories, whether it's successful technologies or startups. Could you share some of those with us? Sure. I, I think this is a I want to talk to it from the standpoint of the journey. I mentioned that earlier. And if we can get more of uh, either a, uh, a researcher going the tech transfer route or a startup route, I'm going to start with what I think covers a pretty interesting um, journey for a company that uh, has been working with us over the last year. You know, we started in, in spring 20 uh, with an innovation impact challenge. So Hawaiian Electric had a challenge that they put in front of us. I mentioned that earlier. And this cross-functional team came together and, and solved, uh, uh, put together a solution and won an award that was funded by Hawaiian Electric in my office. And then that then went to the next step of, you know what? Hey, I didn't know about the Office of Innovation Commercialization and started working with our licensing associate and developing a relationship and, and the trust. It led to a disclosure. And then from there, it led to a patent. And then the next step, it went to the programs at PACE that I mentioned earlier. In the fall of 2020, they, they actually went through a couple of the PACE programs and were awarded some more monies. And then from that, Lisa went to the NSF i which wow. I want to get more folks into the i uh, program because the value, value of an i is very rigorous and intense. And then from the NSF i they went to another round of um, accelerator-type uh, awards and now they're on the on the path of incorporating and, and getting SBIR uh, uh, awards and working with them. So it's kind of talks through that journey yep. from what I mentioned and in, in context from idea to impact. That's that's a great story. That's a really really good example, like you said, of a of a journey. So Steve, along with success comes challenges. What would you say your office's two biggest challenges are? It's really getting more folks to lean in into this innovation entrepreneurship. I mentioned this earlier, and, and that's going to manifest itself in, in ways that I've already talked about. But the outcome of it is significantly increasing the number of disclosures, patents, and license agreements. We've got to do more. And I, I'm a firm believer to get more people doing patents. And that's why I like this whole K-12 journey I talked about, start them earlier. But the, we got to do way more. And I'm not saying that just because of the scorecard. I'm saying that because that's going to for the number of patents that come out there, not all of them are going to turn into a business or to be licensed, right? And so we've got to open the aperture. And I'm a firm believer of a, from funnel management, the more disclosure and patents, it increases the amount of startups and license agreements we're going to get. So that's one. The other one, um, if I look at the, the demographics and mix, we're very focused on a couple of schools here at the university. The College of Engineering is vibrant. The College of Business is vibrant. We've got to do more across the different schools. We have a world-class cancer center. We have a world-class medical school. Uh, we have a world-class astronomy and physics uh, uh, school. We have a world, world-class social sciences program in economics. We have, in, and we've got to do more with the different units. We have a world-class ocean sciences. We're doing stuff with coral and deep-sea exploration. We've got to be doing more with those folks on disclosures and patents. And tied to that, Lisa... The mix is I look at our data, and I'm a, I really like digging in data and get insights because that drives behavior. We, we're, we're failing the number of female inventors. We have way more male in, inventors, and and so how do we get more female inventors uh, disclosing and, and and doing patents? 
it's out there. We have to spend more time there. Yeah, exactly. And that's a huge topic and something the U.S. Patent Office has been been dealing with and been asked about. And and that's a great, great segue to my next question, which is, um, do you have any programs to help encourage and assist women inventors and entrepreneurs? And if so, could you describe them? We're not we're not doing enough there. So we're in the early stages of getting our strategic plan. And it's around, you know, acknowledging and recognizing spending time uh, with them. Uh, with female inventors. The other area that um, I, I think is uh, something that I, I want to spend time on and, and a good area would be, you know, the tenure and promotion process in, in its design is good, but it has some flaws. And, and I'll be very transparent on this. And the, the tenure and promotion process, it does a great job in, in incentivizing and, and helping uh, our faculty on the measures that I mentioned, publishing, writing grants, and, and teaching and community service. What if we were to flip that model in, in Oregon State, thanks to their leadership and NSF grant and a couple other institutions got behind this, PTIE, and the promotion and tenure uh, research project, which the University of Hawaii participated in, wouldn't it be nice if we could acknowledge and recognize a patent that gets published as part of publishing as part of the tenure promotion process today, it's not happening. I think that would be fantastic. I think that would definitely, like you said, help build more relationships and get more PIs interested in the patenting process. Yeah. And I would get that's That's how we target more of the female, right? Exactly. Then imagine, imagine, Lisa, if we could also incentivize and account the royalty money that's coming in to the university and to the unit and to the inventor as part of their extramural monies that they're writing grants for. Why couldn't that count? Yeah. And so we're in the beginning stages. I've got a good relationship with a couple of the deans here, and, and I want to try and pilot that. We're not certainly at the stage there. We're ready to do that, but I'd love to figure out how to pilot that. We're just having the conversation right now, Lisa, around the importance of influencing. Um, and that, could, in my mind, is an, an approach to try and get more female inventors and more inventors for that matter. I think that's great. Good luck. Um, it'll take some time, but I, I have no doubt that you guys will will get there. So, Steve, I generally like to ask my guests what organizations, whether it's Autumn, LES, Bio, that they and their team are involved in and what value you think they add. Oh, very. We're, we're very engaged with Autumn. Uh, it's unfortunate the face-to-face uh, would have been my first face-to-face last year canceled because of COVID. Um, but we're active members, uh, participated in Autumn, not necessarily with uh, LES. Um, and I think those organizations are important um, for us to continue the ecosystem out of Hawaii and into Hawaii. Um, and the relationships that you can, and the networking that's available via Autumn to me is what rises to the surface, Lisa. Awesome. Yeah, I'm hopeful for 2022 that we'll be able to finally get back together in person at Autumn National. Um, fingers crossed. Yeah. For sure. It's been a long road. So, Steve, I generally like to close the podcast by asking my guests, if you could have any three wishes granted or a vision realized for the OIC, what would that be? Good, good question. Way to close that. I, I would say there's two two components of this theme and, and, and strategy that, we're, that, that I would talk through with you, Lisa. It's, one is a vibrant and growing innovation ecosystem that leads to job creation focused on deep tech and high growth jobs. They really embrace the, the unique culture and values of Hawaii and our state. Um, that's going to then translate in significant increases, disclosures, patents, uh, license agreements and startups. We need more of that going on. And the second one is, uh, and I mentioned some of this, is we have an opportunity to do more with foundations and, and corporate and, and 
private philanthropy. We're not doing enough there, and it's on, it's on our strategic plan, as I mentioned. And and so that would we'd be the, the last area, and, and really trying to get more of our community leaning into um, innovation entrepreneurship for our, our state. Well, Steve, I think those are two really great wishes, and I wish you and your very impressive, hardworking team the best of luck in getting those realized. Steve, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you? Yeah, Lisa, this has been a delight. I really appreciate you spending the time uh, and what you're doing in supporting uh, innovation entrepreneurship and just getting to know you over this has been a, a great. So I really appreciate that. You know, the best way for folks to reach out to me uh, is steve.auerbach at hawaii.edu, S-T-E-V-E dot A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H at hawaii.edu. Awesome. Well, thanks so much again, Steve. It's been really great to have this opportunity to talk to you. Likewise. Mahalo. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.